The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks looking to keep that rally alive after four straight sessions of gains. Futures are higher once again. This is Wall Street braces for the latest read on consumer prices ahead of next week's big central bank policy decision. Former Fed Vice Chairman Roger Ferguson is here with a preview of those big numbers and those decisions. A busy day for Twitter shareholders reportedly voting to approve its sale to Elon Musk. This is the Twitter whistleblower heads to Capitol Hill. Plus, the clock is ticking on a nationwide rail strike that could cost the U.S. economy some $2 billion per day. Now Congress may have to step in. And then later on, an historic night at the Emmys for a number of reasons. We've got the winners and the highlights ahead. It is Tuesday, September 13, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good Tuesday morning. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan this morning. Let's kick off this today, this with your U.S. stock futures picture. Right now, we're pointing to some more gains. The Dow is implied higher by, you can see here, roughly 142 points. The S&P by about 20, and the Nasdaq higher by just around 65 as well. The major averages trying to extend a four-session winning streak ahead of today's big August read on consumer prices, the CPI. Checking on the bond market right now, of course, very much in focus given the inflation data. The 10-year Treasury benchmark note yield is actually lower on the session so far, just a hair below 3.32%. But... It continues a near to medium term trend to the upside. The two year note yield about 3.53%, the 30 year long bond a hair below 3.49%. In the oil market right now, crude prices have been in focus given the inflation narrative and the growth outlook for the world right now, but we are seeing prices higher. U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate or WTI crude, $88.79 over a buck higher. That's a percent gain there. Ice Brent crude, the world benchmark gauge, up over a dollar, $95.05, about a percentage gain there as well, and one and the third percent gains for natural gas trades. And in cryptocurrencies, we are seeing both Bitcoin and Ether prices show a little bit of movement to the downside here after some near-term strength. Bitcoin prices a hair above 22200 down about two-thirds of 1%. Half percent losses for Ether, you can see $1,718.34. Let's get a check on markets around the world now. For that, we send it out to Jumana Bersechi in our London newsroom with the latest there from London. Good morning, Jumana. Good morning, Dom. Well, the handover from Asian markets is, for the most part, leaning positive. We got the Shanghai Composite ending the session about five basis points higher. Of course, some lingering concerns there about COVID lockdowns. Hang Seng down two-tenths of a percentage point. The Nikkei in Japan up a quarter of a percent. One stock in focus there, Nintendo, up more than five percentage points after the successful rollout of one of its new games. But over here in European markets, we're continuing on from yesterday's more solid footing. All of the indices are trading in the green 
1,500 in focus over here, just below that 7,500 mark, up two-tenths of a percentage point. Some of the retailers are trading weak this morning. I'll get to Ocado in a second, but that stock is pulling down the FTSE 100. ZetraDAX in Germany up about a tenth of a percentage point. We had CPI numbers come in this morning, 7.9% year-on-year. So those numbers continue to move higher. Kekahant also positive too. But speaking about Ocado, this is the latest on the stock. The grocer has cut its full-year outlook, expecting sales to decline as shoppers cut back and turn to cheaper products. The British online retailer still posted a nearly 3% increase in third-quarter sales, and its customer base grew 23% in the period. But you can see sharp reaction south today, down 11 percentage points. And then finally, one other stock that we're looking at very closely this morning, UBS, the Swiss bank, has plans to hike its dividend by 10% to $0.55 cents per share. In its latest capital returns update, the Swiss lender also signaled it expects its share buyback program to top $5 billion by the end of the year. So a positive reaction there as well, Dom. Jumana Bersetchi, live in London with the latest there. Thank you very much. Let's get to some of this morning's top corporate stories. For that, we turn to Silvana Hanau. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Dom. Good Tuesday morning to you. A majority of Twitter shareholders reportedly voting in favor of the company's $44 billion sale to Elon Musk. That's despite protests from the billionaire Tesla founder. Now, according to multiple reports, early voting shows investors approving the deal by wide margin, though there is a chance the results could change as shareholders can alter their votes during today's shareholder meeting scheduled for 1 p.m. Eastern. Rent the Runway says it is reducing corporate workforce by nearly a quarter. That's primarily through layoffs as the company looks to adjust to a slowdown in consumer spending habits. The fashion rental service did not specify the total number of jobs affected, but as of January, it had 958 full-time employees and 138 part-time employees. The layoffs are meant to slow the company's cash burn and fund itself through sales alone. Shares of Rent the Runway are down more than 75 percent in the past 12 months and down sharply again in the pre-market. If the pre-market loss 23 percent holds, the company will open with a market cap of just $242 million. And shares of Nintendo surging in overnight trading in Asia on news. Its new action shooting game, Splatoon 3, has kicked off sales at a record pace in Japan. The company says of the game have topped 3 million in the first three days, setting a new record for Switch console software, Dom. I've never heard of the game, never but I will, I will have to be aware of it going forward. Thank yes, you very much, Silvana. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to the markets now. In the main event of the week, of course, the August Consumer Price Index, CPI out later on today. Headline inflation is expected to have cooled slightly from July and edged down to just around 8% on a year-over-year basis, mostly due to the drop in oil prices. But that will not be enough to convince the Fed to take its foot off the gas pedal so to speak, with rates. Traders are pricing in a 92% chance that America's central bank will hike rates by three-quarters of a percent or 75 basis points for a third straight meeting next week. So let's now bring in Mark Avalone, president of Potomac Wealth Advisors. Mark, this is probably the worst-kept secret or the most expected rate increase we're probably ever going to get. Is there anything that changes the Fed's outlook, given the CPI numbers later on today? Well, it's highly unlikely that they change course. It's very important that they maintain an aggressive stance against inflation because Powell's last speech said that in no unclear terms that inflation was public enemy number one. Any hesitancy on that 
especially after all the Fed governors have come out and spoken in that regard, would come across as weak against inflation. And actually, deep down, I think investors want inflation under control. As much as higher interest rates hurt stock prices, I think investors realize we have to tame this inflation beast. Do you think investors already realize or or, or are they convinced at least, Mark, that that inflation is in the I won't call it peaking because that, that would be a bold call is in the process of peaking. We're seeing multiple signs in in, in credit and treasury markets. We're seeing signs in commodity markets about this idea that expectations for inflation are coming down. In your mind, are investors now prepared for what could be this inflation print going forward? Well, that's a great question. And I do like the way some of the commodity prices are cooling and, and even energy futures and oil futures are cooling. But, but what's also happening simultaneously is wage demands are going up and the cost push, the old 1970s style root cause of inflation, spiraling wages is alive and well. The calls for unionization, we hear it on the rails and that, that's a big story that could evolve. I think the way wages are on the rise is an offset to the benefits of commodity easing. So no, I don't think that inflation is in the rearview mirror. I think we're in the middle of this battle and we're going to see how it turns out in the next few months. Do you find that there are places right now, we're starting to see maybe a multi-day winning streak, albeit off low levels. We've had a bit of a sell-off in recent weeks here. Are there still places that are attractive in the market to you right now? Well, I think we get bounces as soon as we think that inflation is pulling back or the Fed's going to say nice things. And I think that's hope and optimism. We're still in a bear market. I think, though, for folks who still have to deploy capital, you have to figure out what what side of this uh, equation are you on? If you're a growth investor and you believe that uh, in a slow growth world, growth is going to give you top line revenue increases and be attractive to investors, then you want to invest in technology. And that's something that we believe in. We're not abandoning the technology trade. If you want to balance out your portfolio and you're looking for other areas, you want dividend payers, you want steady, reliable companies. And we think insurers are well poised in that area. Their balance sheets hold a lot of cash. Their bond portfolios have already been beaten down. Now they benefit from higher rates. They've done a lot of internal cleanup. They reduce their risk profile. So I think investors can look for sectors and areas of the market that might do well in an uncertain market. All right. Mark Avalone from Potomac Wealth with a call on tech and insurers. Thank you very much, sir. Have a good day. When we come back on the show, two sides still at odds ahead of a Friday deadline that could kick off the first U.S. rail strike. Since the early 1990s, we have exclusive new details coming up ahead. Plus, much more on today's big inflation report. Former Fed Vice Chairman Roger Ferguson is here with his thoughts. And later on, a C-suite shakeup at Peloton. But can anything turn around a stock, as you can see there, that has fallen more than 90% in just the past 12 months? We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. To the latest now on what could be the first nationwide rail strike since 1992, it could begin this Friday and bring huge swaths of the U.S. supply chain to a grinding halt. Negotiations continue this morning between the railroad carriers and labor unions representing workers. CNBC's senior editor, Lorianne LaRocco, joins us now with the exclusive details on this development. Lorianne, what exactly is the major sticking point preventing a deal between these rail companies and their workers? Well, good morning, Dom. I spoke with Dennis Pierce. He's the president of the Engineers Union, and he's leading the negotiations for the coalition representing the 12 labor unions. He told me the biggest sticking point is the refusal of unpaid sick time for employees. We've withdrawn our proposal for paid sick leave. Uh, we're looking for time away from work to address our medical issues, whether that's an illness, whether that's a routine physical. And right now, primarily Union Pacific and BNSF are the ones that are pushing attendance policies that are assessing points to our members when they just do their regular medical events. In email comments to CNBC, Union Pacific says the company, quote, continues to push for a prompt resolution that provides historic wage increases to employees and allows the railroads to pre prevent further disruption to the struggling supply chain. We're also hearing from Berkshire-owned BNSF. They're saying, quote, it's a categorically false statement to say BNSF is holding up the contract negotiations. We have been negotiating as an industry and have reached an agreement with multiple unions based on the presidential's emergency board recommendations. And just this morning, yet another shoe is dropping ahead of the possible strike. Amtrak is now saying it's canceling some long-distance routes starting today with more cancellations possible. The railroad operator says affected trips include the Southwest Chief Route from Chicago to Los Angeles, the Empire Builder Route from Chicago to Seattle, the California Zephyr Route from Chicago to San Francisco, and the Los Angeles to San Antonio portion of Texas e Eagle Route. Dom? All right, so it's not just uh, cargo carriers, it's passengers now as well. Lorianne, if this cannot be settled, what are the odds that a strike will actually happen? Well, Don, Pierce told me they are still at the bargaining table, but they need to secure an agreement their membership will ratify. At this point, they have done polling of 10,000 participants in a 72-hour period, and 80% of their membership has made it crystal clear they will not accept this contract because it does not address their quality of life issues. I then asked if Congress does step in and the cooling period is extended, what his members will do. I've personally talked to members who have said that if they don't, we don't fix this, we're leaving. They could lose upwards of 10% of their workforce over this, and it will just further harm the supply chain. Pierce said they do not intend to blink and that if they 
this is the hill that they are going to die on if this is how it has to go down. Dom? All right, Lorianne, a lot of drama there on the railroad side of things. We'll keep an eye on it. Thank you very much for the update. Coming up, your top trending stories, including the chance to own a piece of Elon Musk memorabilia courtesy of an ex-girlfriend from his college days. That story when Worldwide Exchange returns after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. To the latest on the funeral preparations for Queen Elizabeth II as her coffin is flown today from Scotland to London, where she will head to Buckingham Palace for the final time. CNBC's own Tanya Breyer joins us now live outside Buckingham Palace. Tanya, good morning to you. Good morning, Dominic. That's right. I'm here at Buckingham Palace, where the Queen's coffin is expected this evening at 7 p.m. She'll be flown from Edinburgh in Scotland by RAF into RAF Northolt and should be arriving at about 6 p.m. there. She'll be accompanied by Princess Anne and Princess Anne's husband, the Vice Admiral Sir Tim Lawrence. They will accompany the coffin here to Buckingham Palace, where King Charles III and the Queen Consort Camilla and other members of the royal family will welcome the coffin here and it will lay in rest in the bow room here at Buckingham Palace. The royal family will then be able to pay their own private respects before tomorrow when the Queen's coffin leaves Buckingham Palace at 2.22 British summer time to head to Westminster Hall. Okay, so, so the, the plans right now, we're seeing the live pictures right now in Scotland. What exactly is the overall logistical plan tomorrow? We know that she heads over to Westminster. What exactly then happens around that in tomorrow's plan? So, Dominic, tomorrow from Buckingham Palace, the Queen's coffin will be taken down the mall here to Westminster Hall, where she will lay in state for four days. And from five o'clock tomorrow, the members of the public are able to go and pay their respects. They can go and walk past the Queen's coffin 24-7. It will be open 24-7 so the mourners can go and say farewell to Queen Elizabeth II for four days before the state funeral on Monday. Right now at Buckingham Palace there's a ring of steel. There is security. No one is allowed near Buckingham Palace itself but down the mall just adjacent here and in Green Park and St. James's Park already the public are lining up so they can say farewell to their late monarch. 
All right, Tanya Breyer with the latest there from Buckingham Palace. Thank you very much. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines as well. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest there. Good morning, Francis. Dom, good morning. NBC News has learned that the DOJ has issued about 40 subpoenas related to Donald Trump and the Capitol riot in just the last week alone. The lawyer of former New York City Police Commissioner Bernard Carrick confirmed to NBC News that he received a subpoena. His attorney called it the widest and most obtuse subpoena he has ever seen. Sources familiar with the matter also say two phones have been seized. A source who spoke to former Trump advisor Boris Epstein confirmed to NBC News that his phone was taken last week. The Justice Department declined to comment overnight. Now to the 74th Emmys, it was back in full force to celebrate the best in TV. Zendaya smashed records, becoming the youngest two-time winning actress for her leading role in the teen drama Euphoria. But it was another actress who stole the show. Song. Couldn't. Couldn't. Emmy winner Cherylee Ralph brought the crowd to their feet while accepting the Outstanding Supporting Actress Award for Abbott Elementary. That was her rendition of Diane Reeves' Endangered Species, where she encouraged others to, quote, never, ever give up on you. And Squid Game actor Lee Jung-jae followed as the first actor in a foreign language show to win Best Actor for his role in the Netflix thriller. And the truth doesn't hurt for Lizzo. The singer took home her first Emmy for Outstanding Competition Program with her prime video, Lizzo, Watch Out for the Big Girls. And all told, The White Lotus, Succession, and Ted Lasso brought in the most awards. Now to some NFL action. Broncos quarterback Russell Wilson was all business in his return to Seattle. Wilson found Jerry Judy to even things up, only for the Seahawks to retake the lead off the arm of Geno Smith before the half. One last chance for Denver, a 64-yard field goal attempt by Brannis McManus. Hooks left, so the Seahawks spoil Wilson's return and win it. 17 to 16 down. Those are your headlines. We send it back to you. All right, Francis Rivera, thank you very much for those. As we head out to break now, checking shares of AppLovin, the company abandoning a $20 billion takeover bid for Unity Software after it was rejected. We're also watching shares now of VMware, the SEC charging the cloud computing company with misleading investors by obscuring its financial performance. Without admitting or denying the findings, VMware says it consented to a cease and desist order and will pay an $8 million penalty. VMware shares down about two-thirds percent of the pre-market. And as a reminder, if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, you can check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast of choice. Worldwide Exchange, audio format. We'll be right back. The relief rally rolls on. Stocks continuing to build on recent gains and more could be on tap for today. Futures are pointing towards a higher open. Front and center for investors today, the latest read on inflation. Expected to show moderating prices. Former Fed Vice Chair Roger Ferguson lays out what that could mean for the central bank's rate hike strategy going forward. And then Twitter shareholders set to sign off on the $44 billion takeover bid Elon Musk is looking to abandon. This is the company's whistleblower heads to Capitol Hill to testify. It is Tuesday, September 13th. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. 
Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan. Let's get right to the markets on this Tuesday morning. U.S. stock futures are pointing towards a higher open. Right now, the Dow is implied higher by just around 130-some points. The S&P implied higher by roughly 18, and the Nasdaq composite up by about 52 or so points. Checking now on energy and oil, coming off three days' worth of gains, you can see right now that oil trade is still higher. WTI crude up about nearly $1, $88.75 for U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate. 1% gains there. Similar percentage gain, about a dollar per barrel upside for Ice Brent crude futures, the world benchmark age, $94.99. And natural gas prices up about one and one-third percent right now. Speaking of oil, new estimates are out this morning over the near-term price of crude. First, it's UBS slashing its year-end forecast for Brent, the world gauge, by 15 bucks a barrel to $110, citing ongoing China lockdowns and still elevated Russian oil exports. Second, you got Morgan Stanley out there cutting its third quarter outlook for Brent by 12 bucks to $98 per barrel. Fourth quarter estimates also lower by $5 to $95 per barrel. That all due to expectations of a sharp slowdown in demand. Still, though, both banks do expect prices to recover in 2023 as supply for oil gets tighter. Now, speaking of energy, the steep drop in the price of gasoline expected to play a key role in today's inflation report for August Due out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time, economists expect price gains for CPI to slow to 8% year-on-year from a previous 8.5%. Today's read is the final major economic data point ahead of next week's Federal Reserve interest rate decision. So joining me now is former Federal Reserve Vice Chairman Roger Ferguson. He's also the former CEO at TIAA and also a CNBC contributor. Roger, thank you very much for joining us this morning. I'd love to get your insider thoughts on just what kind of dialogue is happening right now, given today's inflation print, and how much it will weigh and how much it will influence the Fed's decision, or is it a foregone conclusion? Well, the incoming data is always relevant, but I think this time around maybe less uh, relevant than in the past. And the reason is that um, Chair Powell and others have clearly indicated uh, that another, what they describe as supersized rate, is called for raise is called for, and the market is pricing in 75 basis points. Uh, I think uh, credibility uh, would call for them to move 75 basis points, uh, given the fact that the market has basically uh, priced that in. There shouldn't be, you know, too much of a, a reaction in the market. So I think this time around, you know, what has been signaled is what's the most likely outcome. I, I agree with the market consensus, probably, you know, 85, 90 percent likely that we'll see a 75 basis point move when they uh, when they convene next time. Roger, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, the word credibility, because it, it's a word I've, I've heard a lot from a lot of the sources I talk to, a lot of the market participants that I engage with on a regular basis, they use that word with regard to the Fed. And many times, more often than not, it's about the Fed not having credibility right now. In your mind, I understand that you're a former member of the Federal Reserve, but in your mind, does the Fed have a credibility problem right now? I think the Fed had a credibility problem in that they started relatively late uh, in, in making these moves. Obviously, there are many you know, in the marketplace and in academia that were saying, well, this inflation is maybe more persistent than uh, transitory. But I think they've regained uh, that credibility at this stage. And the evidence of that 
is that both uh, short-term and longer-term inflation expectations are relatively well anchored roughly uh, in that 2% range. That is their target slightly above, uh, for sure, not exactly a 2 so I think markets uh, are, are indicating that the Fed is, is serious and markets believe it. Uh, additionally, uh, there was some survey data from the New York Fed just the other day that showed many consumers uh, in that survey expect inflation over the longer term uh, to return to something closer to the Fed's target. So I think the uh, issue of credibility now is not uh, that markets don't believe the Fed in being very serious about the 2%. It's the credibility of having to deliver once you make bold statements uh, in, in, the, in the public domain. Roger, a, a lot has been said over the course of the years, last several years, about the Fed becoming data dependent. It is data dependent. We know the economic data factors a lot, especially things like the CPI data today. I wonder, you mentioned also some of the market indicators, break-even rates and whatnot, things that are happening elsewhere, commodity prices. When it comes to the discussion behind closed doors at these FOMC policy meetings, which comes up more often as a, an influencer of policy decision? Is it the economic hard data itself, or is it more of what's happening with the marketplace and the reactions to some of that data that drives a lot of that Fed discussion? I think it's much more the uh, economic data in terms of what the economy is actually doing and also uh, the survey data. So we've heard uh, Chair Powell and others talk about expectations. Look, I think the Fed fully understands that the market itself uh, is, is filled with all sorts of cross currents. Uh, there are you know, many, many factors outside of the Fed's control that drive the market. And finally, most importantly, the Fed is focused on its core mission. And its core mission has to do with maximum sustainable growth and uh, low and stable prices. That core mission does not uh, focus or run through you know, whether or not the markets themselves are up or down. Um, and in fact, the Fed recognizes that market movement may be the result of some of their actions. It's not the target of their actions. So it's the core data, uh, the real economy, inflation, inflation expectations. Those are the things that are being talked about at the table. Roger, before we let you go, uh, in your expert opinion, has inflation peaked? It may have peaked in the you know, technical mathematical sense that we're not going to see it continue to go above, let's say, the, the headline 8.5 from the last time. Having said that it might have peaked does not mean, however, that is the clear and convincing evidence that Chair Powell said he needed uh, to be sure that the job is done. And so I think there might be a slight disconnect between enthusiasm and the marketplace that, oh, inflation has peaked, um, suggesting you know, a near-term pause or something of that sort, versus what the Fed said it wants to see, clear and convincing evidence of a return of inflation somewhat uh, dramatically closer to that 2% number. So that's why they keep talking about the job is not yet done. Markets may not be hearing that as clearly uh, as the Fed would like. All right. Uh, 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 a bigger path ahead for sure. Former Fed Vice Chair Roger Ferguson, thank you very much, sir. We, have, we, we really re appreciate your thoughts here. Thank now, you. Now to some of this morning's top stories here. Silvana Hinao is here with those details. Hi, Silvana. Hi, Dom. Peloton announcing a major shakeup in its C-suite. Co-founder and former CEO John Foley formally resigning from his position as executive chairman of the board effective yesterday. 
Foley served as CEO for nearly 10 years before stepping down in February amid the company's announcement of a large wave of layoffs. In, additional, in addition to Foley's exit, fellow co-founder Hisao Kushi is stepping down as the company's chief legal officer next month, while Peloton's chief commercial officer is leaving at the end of next week. The moves mark the latest by new CEO Barry McCarthy amid his push to revamp the company, who says whose shares are down more than 69 percent this year, Dom. Amazon facing its own C-suite shakeup. CNBC has learned that the company's top executive overseeing workplace health and safety is leaving next month. Heather McDougal joined Amazon in 2019 from a division of OSHA. Her departure comes as the e-commerce giant faces widespread scrutiny over its workplace safety record. And shares of Oracle getting a boost on the back of mixed quarterly results. Revenue coming in line with expectations, getting a boost from the closure of its deal for health data software maker Cerner. But earnings and quarterly guidance coming in below analyst estimates as the result of the strengthening dollar dom. All right, Sylvain Hanel, thank you very much for those headlines. We've got a big day shaping up for Twitter. Whistleblower Peter Zatko is set to testify against the company this morning at 10 a.m. Eastern time. The former employee alleging, quote, extreme egregious deficiencies by Twitter relating to privacy, security and content moderation. This as a majority of Twitter shareholders have reportedly voted in favor of Elon Musk's forty four billion dollar takeover of the social media platform, though there is a chance the results could change as shareholders can alter their votes during today's shareholder meeting at 1 p.m. Eastern time. For more on this, let's bring in Laura Unger, former commissioner for the SEC. Uh, Laura, thank you very much for, 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 for joining us. C- can you take us through, in, in your mind, having been on the regulatory side of things, what exactly is the conversation like with regard to whether or not Elon Musk has to take over Twitter, given what's been happening around his particular campaign to to at least get out of this deal? Well, thanks, Dominic. Um, At this point, it's becoming a little bit of a forced marriage, I would say. Um, And an interesting plot twist for today for the shareholder meeting is that pursuant to the merger agreement that Mr. Musk keeps trying to back away from, he has to vote his shares, uh, his 9.5% ownership, um, in favor of the merger agreement. Uh, so he um, is a large shareholder. He has a duty to other shareholders. And he also has a, a binding agreement, again, that he has tried to step away from uh, to vote those shares in favor of the agreement. So it's a bit of a conundrum for him, I would say, while on one hand he's trying to back away from the deal and saying there's been material adverse effects to the company by all of this disclosure on the user base and the bots and now the whistleblower. Uh, But on the other hand, he he is required legally um, with his own signature, I guess, to vote in favor of the transaction. So, so, Laura, uh, these are these are in some ways subtly nuanced two different issues, right? The whistleblower issues, yes. as well as what's happening now with these allegations of misrepresenting the true number of users, the number of bots or spam that's part of the platform. Laura, so, so how do we separate the two 
And from a regulatory standpoint, what exactly does that mean when you have the whistleblower having a very high profile testimony and then at the same time a completely different set of issues with regard to the user stats in in and of themselves? Well, I think the user stats are not related to the whistleblower allegations as as we know it today or this morning. But again, one of the uh, ways that Mr. Musk can back away from the agreement, according to the terms of the agreement, is if there's a material, materially adverse effect to the company. And if you, and if what we hear today uh, is materially different and could fit within those parameters, then he would have a basis to step away from the agreement. Material adverse effect is is a very high bar, however, um, and I think what we're talking about is. Um, the whistleblower coming forward with allegations around lax security and uh, a soft, a technology company not really being best in class in terms of its um, privacy and security practices um, so that data protection maybe isn't what it should be. And that is not necessarily relevant to what he's been talking about, what Mr. Musk has been talking about in terms of the um, number of users. So they are two different facts, um, but maybe when you put them together, that's enough for it to be um, something for him to step away. However, I think most of the lawyers have opined that that is not going to be enough for him to step away, but we don't know what the whistleblower is going to say today. Uh, And again, this will play out in the court of law in next month um, with a judge who's already not, uh, it sounds less than enamored with Mr. Musk's uh, document production on his texts, et cetera. So this might add some more fuel to the fire if he doesn't vote in favor of the merger agreement. Laura, we've got just a few moments left here. In your mind, what's the most likely outcome uh, of this? Does, does, does Elon Musk end up having to buy Twitter? I, I don't see a way for him not to um, buy Twitter without some some serious ramifications and a long, long uh, bout of litigation, no doubt, uh, although the Chancery Court might move quickly for him to um, have specific performance, that is, to go ahead with the transaction. And then what happens to the company, really, with a reluctant leader? So not okay. the best circumstance. No, not the best scenario there. Oh, okay, Laura Unger. Former SEC Commissioner, thank you very much. We appreciate your thoughts. Coming up on the show, your morning RBI. Random and interesting, and with a dip in inflation figures, may mean a little relief when it comes to your home heating and electric bills. And that's coming up later on. But first, as we head out to break, some of your top trending stories. Elon Musk's college girlfriend is auctioning off some items from the Tesla CEO to pay for her stepson's college tuition. Items include never-before-seen photos of Musk as well as a birthday card. Bids for the card have crossed $10,000 for the birthday card. Yes, so far. Speaking of auctions, two ticket stubs from Michael Jordan's debut game for the Chicago Bulls are up for grabs. The two tickets from the October 1984 game have an estimated value of between two to $300,000. And flying for the holidays, it's going to cost you. Airfare is expected to be the most expensive in five years, according to fare tracker Hopper, as pandemic fears subside. Average domestic airfare for trips over Thanksgiving stand at $350 a piece. That's a 22% increase from 2019 pre-pandemic. 
Worldwide Exchange is back after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Now it's time for something random but interesting. For that, we send it out to our own Brian Sullivan with RBI. Brian. Thanks, Dom. It is time now for your morning RBI, and we're going to try to bring this back for you as much as we can. The most random but interesting thing you may hear all day, CNBC style, of course. And today, let's talk about the biggest topic in the economy, inflation, because there is actually some potential good news that we are going to hear later on this morning. The biggest market moving event is going to be the Consumer Price Index, better known as the CPI. That report is going to be widely watched and may impact the Federal Reserve's upcoming decisions about how much more to raise interest rates. And there's some good news around inflation. The price of gasoline, it has fallen dramatically in the last couple of months. Energy costs are a big part of the inflation data. And because of that drop, what you're paying at the pump, it is possible could see a negative CPI print later today. Yes, negative. Now, if we do, of course, it does not mean we have negative inflation. That's not how it works. But it does mean that the overall headline inflation number declined month over month. And that would be welcome because inflation is still sitting near a 40-year high. But before you go out and spend your gasoline savings, here's the other side of the story. The price of your home electric and heating bill is going up, up, and up. A few days ago, and of course very quietly, utilities here in New Jersey asked for and received big increases in what they are allowed to charge you for power. Some cases, utilities like PSE&G are going to be able to raise your rate by as much as 25% in the months ahead. A local gas company was allowed to and granted a nearly 16% rate jump. In other words, if your electric and heating bill was normally, say, 300 a month in the peak of winter, it might now be 350 375 or even higher, depending on your energy mix. And it is not just here in New Jersey. We have seen these kinds of rate increases in many other parts of the country as well. You may have already gotten a notice yourself. So do the basic math. If you're using 50 or 75 gallons of gasoline a month, which is about the national average, at 50 or 75 bucks a month, you now may be saving from gas dropping off its highs. Is now probably just going to be handed right back to your utility company in one energy door, right out the other. So even if the headline inflation data today shows a drop, enjoy it while you can, because you're likely to get some sticker shock this winter. Unless, of course, you keep the thermostat low and wear a lot of sweaters. It's really just something to plan for in your family budget that is hopefully random, but interesting and important. Tom. All right. Well, I've tried to get my wife to wear more sweaters and my kids as well. They don't do it. So we'll pay for the heating bills because we have to. Brian, thank you very much for this morning's random but interesting RBI. As we head to break, a reminder, be sure to sign up for the most powerful investment event of the year. We're talking CNBC's Delivering Alpha Conference as it returns on September 28th. Just scan the QR code that you're seeing on your screen right there or go over to DeliveringAlpha.com to register for the big event. Delivering Alpha, September 28th, New York City. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Plenty going on today for investors and traders to watch, including some key economic reports. In just a few minutes, we get the latest read on small business with the NFIB survey for the month of August. And as we've been talking about all morning, all week now at this point at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time, we get the latest read on inflation with the big consumer price index CPI report. On the corporate front, Starbucks holding its investor day today. It's first since naming its CEO and the United Nations General Assembly kicking off today. Speeches from world leaders, including President Biden, will kick into high gear starting next week. 
Now, as we gear up to kick off the trading day, let's dive into the market's recent performance, starting with the 10-year Treasury note yield very much in focus given the inflation data. Now, remember the cycle high here earlier just about this year was 3.48%. We've seen a steady climb in that 10-year note yield to just about 3.32%. So that inflation number really kind of playing into the market still. With regard to the month of trading that we've seen, there's only two sectors in the S&P that are actually positive over the course of the last month. Two very different sectors. Energy, given the prices that we've seen, even though they've moderated a little bit, and utilities, a more defensive sector. Meanwhile, technology down 7%, the worst performing S&P 500 sector as valuations come under pressure, given interest rates going higher. And then one more place to watch there, of course, within technology, the underperformance that we've seen in the last month over a key part of the market. Semiconductors, computer chips, NVIDIA, advanced micro devices and applied materials all down between 12 and 22 percent. So keep an eye on that one indicator for the market. For more, let's bring in Keith Lerner, co-chief investment officer at Truist Advisory Services. Keith, I wonder when you take a look at this trade for technology, we know it's been under pressure. Does it worry you that there's been some severe underperformance in places like computer chips and semiconductors overall? Well, first, hey, good morning. Great to be with you, as always. Um, so regarding technology, um, you know, for this market to make a lot of headway, given how much weight this, the uh, technology sector is, tech is going to have to, uh, to perform. It doesn't have to outperform, but it has to perform. Um, and our work is it's more of a neutral at this point. Um, right now, you know, valuations are a bit stretched. It's trading for about a 25% premium to the overall market. And as you mentioned, Rates are moving somewhat higher. So we'd rather be in overweight in areas like energy and some of the more defensive areas like healthcare, staples, and utilities at this point. Because we do think that, you know, while this market's had a nice rally and we've been expecting this rally, we still think it's in the context of a broader choppy trading range. Now, Keith, th- th- there have been a number of folks out there in the Wall Street community who have said that, you know what, given the inflation outlook, even though it may be moderating by many market signs, we still haven't yet priced in for the market currently what could be a recessionary scenario. It looks increasingly likely, say a number of trading desks and research firms, that a soft landing could be more likely than a hard landing. Is this market priced in for a recessionary narrative? It certainly is not, uh, Dom. You know, back in June when the market was down 24 percent, it was pricing in a recession. That's actually the median uh, decline around recessions is about 24%. So we went from um, pricing in a recession at the lows to at the highs in mid-August pricing in a soft landing. And I think right now we're in the middle. So there's not a great short-term edge. Our view is that people were pricing in a recession too early. We think the higher risk of recession is early to mid-next year. And that's part of the reason why we've seen a little bit of relief here in the market. But we do still think that is a risk. Uh, again, but it, it's deferred, not gone. Now, uh, we have just a, about a minute left here with you, Keith. I, I wonder from a trading perspective, is it still okay for investors to be putting money in this market, or do you believe that there is a flush that's about to happen sometime later on next year? Well, overall, I mean, our, our uh, overall outlook has been to be up in quality, a little bit more defensive this year, especially relative to the past few years where we, we were a lot more bullish. I would say it's time frame time. If someone's looking for the next, you know, two, three, four, five years, I think it's fine to put money in. We would be more aggressive, though, on pullbacks. After, you know, and, and um, you know, think about it. We just went up 5% in about a week. A week before this, we were saying, you know, that it was time to be a bit more aggressive. But right now, we think there's not much of a short-term edge. 
So we would be, you know, doing it really more incrementally at this point as opposed to aggressively. All right. Keith Lerner, Truist Advisory. Thank you very much. We appreciate it, sir. Great. Thanks so much, Tom. All right. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Futures right now are pointing to a higher open. The Dow implied higher by roughly 152 points ahead of that big key inflation data. Consumer prices, CPI out, 8.30 a.m. Eastern time. Squawk Fox picks up the market coverage going into that number, and it comes up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.